Mm. Um, I've got this vision of somebody just literally Call like Homer it. Simpson underneath. Yeah. Bring your own, bring your own bladder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to the People's Countryside podcast. Thanks for being with us. We will debate three important environmental issues per episode with a special guest. And we'll be dealing with serious world-scale problems. We approach each question in an open and friendly manner, as though we're sat together in a pub talking with friends. Our ultimate aim is to take this idea on stage in front of a live audience as the People's Countryside live and unscripted. So sit back and listen as the conversation unfolds. And remember, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter where you can share a question you'd like us to discuss and also find out more about our wider work at thepeoplescountryside.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the People's Countryside Environmental Debate Podcast. We are on episode, now I'm going to flounder a little bit right at the start here, Stuart. Are we at number 13? I think it might be 12, but I can't remember. Uh, I think I, it's 12, actually. because I, I feel we're at the unlucky number of 13. Right. We'll see. You, this is a podcast where we debate three uh, challenging environmental uh, questions, and all three of us, myself, uh, Stuart, and our guest today, all um, bring the questions to the table. Right, yes, and in the studio today, which is my living room, um, <laughs> my name is William, and we have... Stuart, the wild man, Lambert. And our guest today is... Anthony Brown. Yeah, that's... And who is Anthony Brown? That was going to be my it's next a, question. It's a very philosophical question. <laughs> so, uh, I am your intern this week, mm. as part of the Oxford University's scheme. Um, my day job, I'm a medical researcher at Oxford University, with an interest in the environment, but no great expertise. <laughs> and you're involved with Hospital Radio? Yes, as well, for my sins, yeah, but in Banbury, Radio Horton. Do you, okay. do you host your own show? I do, yeah, and I'm chairman. What's the sort of show? What sort Music. Of show, okay. Yeah. And what sort no of No environmental content. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you can sneak some environmental content in there somewhere, can't you? Well, yeah, political messages in the song. So. And, yeah. <laughs> and William, who is our next guest? Our next guest is going to be Andy Gunn from Bebout. Right. That's going to be in the middle of this month. Um, we haven't got any questions set for that. No. We also have Bagboard. Which, in London. In London, uh, which we are going to go and meet up with and hopefully going to be having a podcast record with them as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're the next two guests. And where yeah. are they in London again? They are next to Holborn. Holborn, yeah, that's right. Yeah. In, in, in sort of east central London, isn't yeah. it? Um, so, should we get straight on to the first question, then, Stuart, as you, as you rip the paper from my hands? Yeah, okay. So, the first question we're going to ba- debate is... Um, Should we celebrate our environmental successes more, and what are they? Well, before I say my thoughts, I just want to hear yours. So, should we celebrate our environmental successes more, and what are they? What is what is an environmental success? You know, are we are we looking at um, maybe nature reserves being able to bring back a species back back from the brink of extinction? 
Um, are we, a, you know, just just a return of a habitat, or even? I mean, I've, I've noticed that, especially particularly with Live Valley, just recently, which is the place we're going to be doing the workshop in this evening. They've actually returned it to what it was. It was it was Fenland, wasn't it originally? Yeah. Um, but in my childhood, which is was placed right on my doorstep, um, it had grown quite wild. So again, that's 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 success as well, isn't mm. it? Because it's, it's it's trying to return it back to that original its original state, and, in, and then getting the, the 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 ecosystem back. Interesting, how you say it depends how you interpret success. You know, which is my what I always want to come on to is yeah. everybody's got a different interpretation of success. But Anthony. Environmentally, what do you think society's successes have been? And because it's very easy to talk about the bad stuff. Yeah. Um, but what? Do and you obviously, think... that there is a lot of focus on the bad stuff. Yeah, but how? You know, what? 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 What have we achieved? Yeah, the the immediate things that spring to mind are sort of reintroductions of beavers in certain areas and otters and things. Yeah. Um, you know, reducing the pollution in the Thames, maybe. Mm. There's a lot of fish come back to the Thames, isn't there? Do you, do you think it actually we intrinsically sometimes we're really bad at? actually even recognising success mm. you know I was just thinking about this myself the other day that uh, it's so easy to focus on oh, what I haven't done rather mm. than what I have done yeah. when, uh, mm. does that reflect on both of your lives at all yeah um, what I haven't done is in the future what I'm doing now is all that matters and uh, because that's that's all we've got so as long as I'm making a difference now uh, you know the future that, that will just happen but my my uh, my, my interpretation of this question, even though I've set it, is our successes, our, I feel, recently, is an awareness of the environmental uh, situation. People yeah. are aware that pe- organisations are beginning to collaborate instead of working autonomously and maybe pulling a- away from each other. And also, we're broadening the societal acceptability of the environmental situation we face. So more people are buying into it. That's what I consider the, the, the success recently. Yes, but then this, is that success good enough? Well, ecology? yeah, I mean, I think it has to be the starting point. Yeah. An awareness, uh, working together, broadening the, the, the focus... But, you know, the biggest challenges we face are environmental and um, inequality. You can't solve one without the other, I don't think. So involving more people. So I want to throw in there, should we try and challenge the social norm of how our leadership structures are, you know, and our processes and that run the processes and systems? Should we actually now progress to changing the social norm of our leadership structures. How is that linked with the celebrated success? How is that linked back? Well, um, you're talking about changing how how change almost changing who our leaders are or who we perceive. No, not necessarily who our leaders are, but how you know they might still be leaders, but you know they might lead in a different way. Yeah. Um, not about changing them, but mm. you know celebrate the successes by then taking the next step. Yeah, you know, so it's an action from the action from yeah. that success. You know, instead of actually. So the assessing in sense, in a sense, is is having leaders that are more um, clued in to what the impact they can have mm. themselves. And the, long, lo- and the long term impact, especially not the short term, which happens for the. We're locked into systems and processes that even if we want to be an environmentalist, it's hard to break out of. But um, 
so the, uh, the way our leadership system works is short term, short termism. They make decisions, we make decisions on hoping to get voted in again. Yep. So it's exactly about long termism. So, you know, we've, I personally think the way to celebrate successes is to actually push for more success. Yes. I'll actually just put out there that actually one success would actually be with the environment is that it becomes more, less politicised and actually get rid of the political side of it because when somebody is, like you say, is, is a member of parliament, for example, or a prime minister or whatever, they're always thinking short term, they're always thinking the next three, four, five years, depending on the term, but actually really should be um, outside of the political sphere. Think about that yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about generational change, aren't you? So you've got to think a lot longer term than... I mean, the, I don't know. I, I don't see how that you can change leadership. I mean, it'd be good to do that, but I just don't see... Is there... Yeah, there's a vested interest they have in yeah. it, maintaining it as it is, so... There will always be vested interests, but can those vested interests be maybe watered down a bit by having... Different, you know, they lead on certain areas of decision making. But other people take control. But other people, yeah. maybe with other decisions like the environment, there's a wider group of people talking about it and involved in that decision process. Is that a way of not changing it but adapting it? More people involved. Yeah, I'm. I'm still going back to. I'm still thinking back to the original question and thinking about how. It's almost like you're 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 putting forward how success can be used as a tool to make act, to make a create an action to make a change. Mm. Um, that is that is often that is often the biggest challenge. challenge, definitely. But if we're trying to change, it's changing that course of that big thing, isn't it? If we're trying to change how uh, processes and structures we work by. Mm. Are different cultures locked into different processes, or are we all cultures locked into the same fundamental structure? Well, from the work we've we've been doing this week, um, not necessarily. No, mm. um, in the West, yes, I expect they are. But you know, well, we don't really know. Yeah, cultures. you don't really know with the isolated cultures how mm. they how they're operating. Um, we have a, a an idea in the West. I think that they are more in touch with the, the environment and. They're more hands-on, but is that true? I don't know. Mm. I mean, a lot of these, um, as the West kind of creeps into these areas, say Native Americans or um, in Canada as well, they um, they seem to become more Westernised mm. as they kind of in, get encroached on. But that's that's one thing we're going to be looking at for these international trips, isn't it? Mm. So we're actually going to see whether or not that is true. Yeah. You know, how much we, how much is our own perception, and how much of it is actually reality. A romantic view of these cultures yeah. being more uh, sustainable. But um, I mean, I'll ask a question of you, Stuart, because this is your mm. question. What, what, what would be for you the key six? If you were to have a success for the future, what would you? What would you see? What would you like? To Environmentally, see? you mean? Oh, no, I'm going to leave it open because okay. I know that you, not maybe not personally, <laughs> but you okay. know, maybe maybe more on a world scale. World scale. World scale. Um, I personally think uh, a success would be people living simpler, not easier. And I'll leave that thought out there. They're two very, very different things. They are indeed. I mean, I'm, I'm my question in some ways 
touches upon that. I think mm. we can come back to that as well. Mm. My question. But what success do you, have we all made individually on an environmental basis in our own lives? <laughs> William, and, and don't say reusable cups. <laughs> Let's go wider than that. Wider than that, I would say it, it has been uh, lots of little things. So myself and we do, myself and my wife do, um, we have showers back to back, so we're not heating the water up twice. The water we have for the shower, when it's heating up, we put it into a bucket and we use it. So it, it's little things like that. I feel that their success is... It helps out. It helps our bottom line because we're not spending so much money on water. But it also means we're not. We're not just not consuming so much. How about Anthony? Yeah, it's environmental success. I can't really put my finger on anything particularly. In some ways, I'm a shameful consumer. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I've got this vision of uh, William and his wife back to back in the shower. <laughs> you know, it's a big old shower. That you know. Anyway. This this is obviously this is obviously going to go out, out, out past the watershed, right? Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> well, it's available whatever, isn't it? Okay, as a consumer, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's got worse recently because I've I've got a ten month old son, right? And you know, for example, we didn't even contemplate using reusable reusable nappies. And is that because is that because it is? I've not had children, but no. my experience with my friends, it's almost like, especially your first child. Yeah. It's like my God. I've suddenly got this this small creature to look after. Yeah, I mean, it, um, yeah, there's definitely an element of that. Yeah, and it's like then you just have to react at that point. Don't you? If you said you're uh, well, a, a consumer, Anthony, mm. uh, well, what what would help you? What structure if you uh, was put in place to help you make better decisions to be more environmental and still be a consumer? You know, a lot of it is it comes down to time and effort. You know, if you take a little bit more time to kind of source, say, food, fruit, veg, and things, if you go out, if you if you go out and buy it yourself from a market or something, then you don't doesn't come in packaging and all that kind of thing. Um, it, part of it's just laziness. You know, mm. we just we. Is it, is it also awareness as well? I mean, yeah. Are you aware of? I mean, I, I don't know where you live, but you're aware of where the closest farmers market is, or maybe the closest place where you could do uh, refills. You know, you can get there's um to refill the oil detergent that time. yeah so they they are so i live in banbury so they uh, of course there's there's a pop-up that happened a little while ago where they were doing refills but as far as i know there's nowhere in banbury currently right that is although based on this i think it was fairly successful so i think they're hoping to uh, that whole that whole that whole um part of business yeah, that, is massively growing yeah yeah so what you're saying there is your time as consumer is limited so you need the suppliers the supply chain to actually think okay how can we work to make it easier to make the right decisions as yeah. a consumer? You need the suppliers to do that, to make it, so you haven't got to do the research. Mm. Um, but, you know, they're not going to change without consumers. Well, the, the really good thing at the moment is Waitrose are trialling, yeah, just in Oxford, yeah. they're trialling the refill idea, um, including, and I don't know how they're going to do this, <laughs> including wine. Mm. Um, I've got this vision of somebody just literally like Probably. Homer Simpson underneath. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your own, bring your own bladder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they won't. Uh, you, you feel they they won't make the suppliers won't make that decision without the the. the well, unless the unless they feel, I think they it comes down to the bottom line, doesn't it? Mm. So if, unless they feel that consumers are turning against certain products because of the way mm. they're packaged, they it, it's obviously going to take them effort to go to their suppliers and get their mm. suppliers to check. So 
it's a bit of a catch-22. Yeah, um, but one thing I've noticed with um, some of the companies, they've already started to make changes. So there's, there's small things like, I don't know, uh, Greg's have now got a vegan sausage roll. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. that. that is one step towards being a little bit more sustainable. And I think that must have come from some feedback from somebody somewhere. Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know how a lot of retail places get their information. It must come from... Uh, from surveys and that type of thing, yeah. right? Mm. I think uh, it'd be easier for suppliers to, with their bottom line, to actually, instead of competing constantly with their competitors, to actually get get together, work together, and, and there's still profit by working com- competitors working together. Mm-hmm. But I just think that their doors open by working together more. But there is a danger there of being, you know, massive monopolies and yeah, I'm not talking about merging. I'm just talking about people in the same industry. Talking about maybe the, co- the way the co- cooperative works. Yeah, in a way. I mean, they're, they're still separate. They're still making money. But they're, they're actually resolving certain things that can't be resolved because they're competing all the time. Okay, but that, that, then that comes from people higher up the chain. Okay, yeah, so that's so the first question. That was the first question, yeah. And how, um, I would just like to ask, uh, if you're listening, how did you find us? How did you find this podcast? At the moment, we're tucked away uh, on SoundCloud. But yes. It's interesting how uh, Bagboard, a future guest, uh, found us. Is it you know? Is that is it the fact that maybe we are quite uh, unique podcasts? Mm. There aren't too many podcasts about the environment. Mm. Um, also, we'd like to know exactly where you are right now when you're listening to this, because that's always an interesting one. So let's get on to the second question, and which is Anthony's. Anthony's, yep. Would you? Do you want to pass it to Anthony so he can read his own? Oh, he's got his own. I've got it on my consumerist technology. (laughs) Uh, With music festival season starting, what measures are festivals already taking to limit their environmental impact and what more can be done? We were having an interesting conversation about this yesterday uh, because you're an avid um, festival goer. Yeah. Not so much at the moment with with my young son, but in a couple Um, of years when he's a bit older and can run around and can be back, but... Having having been to festivals, what's your perception of the um, areas where they fall down environmentally? As you know, as a participant. Yeah. yeah so there, there there is a big difference depending on which festival you go to. So a lot of the big ones, <clears throat> so th- festivals like Reading and Leeds and Download. Well, actually, I, I've been reading. There's a report that came out in 2015 that was put together by a group of. Um, people that organise festivals and, and other people that are interested. And having looked through that, they it would appear that some of the bigger ones are actually some of the ones that are better at um, uh, implementing change um, because they, they, can see, they can see the financial incentive, you know, benefits of reducing their impact. Um, so there is, there's definitely work going on. Um, obviously, the main things are you know, the, the amount of energy consumed on site in order to put on the entertainment. Um, and, and also all the, the food vendors and everything um, the waste that's generated and uh, you know, just simple things like people getting to the site in the first place yeah. um, which is a big thing and they don't all you know, do in, um, kind of surveys to see how people are getting there and whether they can change things well, I was going to um, say to you actually the thing that always, I always think the biggest impact of any music festival is at the end yeah. You, I mean, if you come into Reading on the train, you can't really see it so much now, but when you used to come into Reading on the train, you could see oh, yeah. where it had been. Because yeah, it yeah. was just like this mass... Obviously, where everybody had been camping, 
there were uh, there were tents there was rubbish it was just fires every, yeah because yeah the, <laughs> it's the, like a war zone <laughs> yeah Reading and yeah. Leeds are known quite quite yeah. well for their uh, tents being set right yeah. on the last night right yeah um, I went once I went for a whole weekend apart from the Sunday night because I knew what would happen so I left it <laughs> um, and but that's you know well, I wonder how I wonder how that's uh, that's how that can be that can be solved. Um, because I, I, well, I know somebody, one of my, my cousins actually ended up going over to, uh, it might have been Reading Festival, or I can't remember which one it was, but they actually, a group of people went round and picked up a load of tents that had just been left there. Yeah. Absolutely nothing wrong with them. Yeah, and then yeah. they were given to the homeless or they were, they were sent abroad for places like um, refugee camps and anybody, anything that needed a proper, these tents that were just been left there and, and discarded like it was. Yeah, there's, there's thousands at each festival. Yeah, it's incredible. It's just it? don't. You know, they don't, tents are cheap, they don't want to carry it, they just think, I'll just leave it, someone else will sort it out. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, when it's the litter problem, instead of actually uh, people who are then left with the litter, to not actually see everything as litter, you see actually something you can pass on and reuse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, was a, there was a moment, in, there was a wonderful one moment in the last World Cup, Football World Cup, um, and it was Japanese fans, and I think it was Senegal fans, yeah. that actually, yeah. after the match, I mean, this is obviously different to a music festival, but I'm making a parallel here because if they actually went around with bags and they, they, they took all the rubbish home with them. They didn't even put a speck of dust in the, uh, or a speck of rubbish mm. in the place. And maybe that's really what people should be doing. You go, you go to a festival, yeah, you have a good time, yeah, you get very drunk, but you've also got to have some responsibility with the at the end. Yeah, yeah but that sort of, uh, okay, that's clearing up the site. But isn't it better to try and aim to produce less to clear up afterwards anyway, regardless of who gets rid of it? That's the first step, isn't it? Well, the first yeah. step, sorry, is to keep, is to actually make sure that you don't leave stuff there, mm. and then, then then the next step is to actually not have any have less to take in the first place. Yeah, definitely. But uh, people often think um, the, the the environmental impact of festivals is the litter, but it's always wider than that. It, it's the as you say. It's the energy used on site. It's the energy used people travelling to site. It's. Um, do, you want, yeah. do you want some numbers? Seeing as I've yeah, 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 so yeah. Um, well, I love numbers. <laughs> so they. I this, like number this, one best. <laughs> this the report estimates that about eighty percent of the carbon footprint of the festival is just travel of the audience to the festival. That makes total sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, while at the festival, um, across the country, this uh, it was something like. 200 different festivals took part in the survey. Um, something like 12,000 tonnes of CO2 a year produced just to run the festivals. Um, obviously a lot of them are using diesel. Um, so some of them are, sh are moving away from using diesel, using biodiesel, using solar, things mm. like that. So one of the good success stories is a festival, quite a small festival um, in Northamptonshire called Shambhala. Um, so in 2010 they were using 100% red diesel across the site. And then by 2014, they'd gone 100% renewable, although a lot of that was uh, biodiesel. And do you, um, do you know what red, I don't know, what, can you just explain what is red diesel? Do you know what that well, is? Well, as far as I know, it's the kind of stuff that tra um, farmers, yeah, farmers use. It's so exactly the same as ordinary diesel, it's just got dye in it. Farmers actually get a tax reduction yeah. on, on their fuel, right? so that it's got a red dye in it. So if the police stop you in a car and you've got a, they open your fuel tank and it's got a red stain in it, mm -hmm. they know you're, you, you're using dodgy diesel to avoid the tax. Mm. There's green diesel knocking around as well somewhere, but I can't remember <laughs> what industry that is. Yellow diesel, purple mm. diesel. 
<coughs> Anthony, more numbers. So uh, yeah, so that's that's the energy usage, which is obviously big. Um, in terms of waste, so they estimate that uh, per person per day at a music festival, you generate two and two point eight kilos of waste. So that's a mixture of. I don't think that includes human waste. <laughs> I think that's a separate category. Um, but obviously you've got to deal with that as well because that's a big problem. I've been to a festival um, and I've been by the toilets. There's a lot of waste there. <laughs> but you know, all the packaging from your food and everything and um, um, waste food as well and presumably all the tents and crap that mm. gets left. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, Glastonbury, as you might think, have been quite good at sort of changing that. So they, um, uh, since 2004, they've, ensure that all the con- people um, catering on the site, everyone, they, um, they only use wood or paper for all the packaging um, so that it can all be composted on mm. site. That's the interesting thing about the travel, uh, getting to site. I often think uh, a more of a sense of community uh, across the board helps so many aspects of en- environmental improvement. Now, if we actually thought about getting people to these events in a more... You know, instead of them getting there individually, yeah. making yeah. their own way, yeah. it's way more organised. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, they're transported on mass. And if you transport people on mass as well, it, it becomes it becomes a community in itself. I've been on yeah. many away trips with football, and you're with like two or three coaches, and you feel like you're this this gang of people. Oh, you're community. It <laughs> the price of transport as well. It yeah, does indeed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know Glastonbury is particularly good with rail travel because there's a station relatively close mm. to it. Um, but but I think it's a nightmare. <laughs> because they don't put enough you know they can't put enough train you know there's just not the capacity on the, on the mm. yeah so but, sure you but, yeah exactly but, <laughs> but um, more people come were to come but they, they they definitely encourage you to use coaches and things so you, mm. if you can show that you've got to the site in a greener way mm. you get a special wristband so that you can get discounts at the food vendors and everything mm. yeah so, so in the way go back to Stuart's question that's a there's a success there mm. yeah. yeah yeah. some of you were talking about yesterday uh, you, you Anthony you, yeah. you were saying that there is this growing culture of the UK uh, festival goers they're actually going abroad to yeah. like Portugal and things uh, potentially uh, because it's actually in some ways cheaper you get a wider um, yeah, it's, it's often, it's say, you know, Glastonbury is an example, it's incredibly hard to get tickets. Mm. <laughs> as soon as they go on sale, they've sold out. So you might get a big band like Radiohead when they played there last year. They were also playing smaller festivals in Europe. Yeah. So you could fly there and go there, get better weather, pretty much mm. guaranteed in Portugal or Spain or somewhere. Mm. And you get to see you know, your favourite bands and it, have a different experience. But um, that raises the yeah. thing of... Is a key motivator, a driver of people making a behavioural change to make themselves more sustainable. Is that driven largely by the financial impact on our pockets? Is that a real big decision maker? I guess it depend, depends on your resources. Mm. You know, if money's no object, then you'll just you, you'd go to Burning Man in America or something. Anyway, well, if it was, yeah, I was just um, thinking about the Glastonbury thing. They said that, but actually, it's just demand, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just money, it's just demand. It yeah. just, just goes so quickly. Coachella, is it in? Coachella, yeah. Coachella in, in, in America as well is probably very similar to that as well. Yeah. But, you know, I pointed out there that, uh, you know, tra- travelling to abroad for another festival, you know, it'd be easy to interpret that as a bad thing. But isn't travel to other cultures, other, other countries, uh, opens our minds to other ways of thinking? It, it, it's just, you know, maybe... It, Probably not to a music festival, <laughs> but yeah, generally. Maybe, it depends on what else you do. 
yeah. But if you just travel there for music festival, you know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's the football analogy. If you just go to the football ground, you're not seeing <laughs> you've not culture. Gone, you've not gone to the city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like going on package holidays. Sometimes you don't leave the hotel. Or the bus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. But you know, you can so, say you know, I, I'm just uh, playing devil's advocate slightly that travel isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, no, no. Um, but but a lot of that stuff can also be learned in books and on online these days. So you yeah. know, it's, but this going, I was going to say going back to this 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 one particular point is that eighty percent of that of the carbon footprint comes from the travel to the site for the festival. Mm. So if you can make that more. If you can, re- that's the that's the biggest yeah. impact you can yeah. have, right? Is it not about the volume of travel we're doing? Is it more about the infrastructure and the energy behind how we're doing it? You know, should mm. we be actually thinking about okay, we need to be doing less travel, or thinking okay, let's keep the travel as is, but change the processes behind it? Be more savvy with the traveling. Mm. Yeah, I mean, how, how do you normally get to any of your festivals, Anthony? Uh, not your personal. No, no, no. Personal. Um, I've ten. So I used to get the train. I tend in the more recently. I've tended to get the coach. Hmm. Um, partly because the trains just can be a complete nightmare. Because hmm. you've got you know once you've got it depends which festival you go to, but once yeah. you've got to the city. So like say for example, Download Festival, which is um, right next to East Midlands Airport hmm. at okay. Donington Park. Okay. Yeah. Um, you get the train to um, Derby, but yeah. then you've got to get from Derby. Long way. The, and it's a fair way so yeah. there are buses but it takes a while they do a shuttle bus as well yeah um or you can you know people just hire taxis and stuff but if you get a coach it takes you if, as long as you can get to wherever the coach is leaving from so it they tend to go from oxford or from reading where my mate lives um then that takes you on site so yeah, yeah. which is more effective you've got a bit of a pain getting all your because they can be a bit fussy about how much stuff you cram in there but you don't have to you know, be mm. on the tra- train. You know, train travel is not luxurious. <laughs> so you know, and you don't. I don't like being on a train if I'm wet and muddy. No, <laughs> no. I don't like imposing it because there's people. The weird thing is, at the end of the festival, when you leave on the Monday, you're back into the reality. Yes. And you've got these these poor retired people who are off for a weekend. You know, they get there off traveling for the week, and there's all this stinky, smelly mm. people. I've tra- I've gone through um, a Reading festival, a Reading yeah, station exactly. at the festival time. I completely forgot it was on. And it's and always it's like, holiday Monday. Yeah, well. yeah. The, the, the muddied, the muddied masses are sat there. <laughs> there's hundreds of them. Steaming. The, yeah, quite literally, right? Yeah. But the um, in so many ways. If we all went out of here, and then in the next week we went to different events, it might be a music festival, it might be a mm. football match, yeah. it might be whatever. Yeah. How can we, uh, uh, as consumers or, or, or visitors of those particular events, with the infrastructure we have in place and the systems we're locked into, how can actually we go to that, that, uh, those events and actually reduce our own personal impact? And it's not about leaving litter, because we've still produced stuff that we have to get rid of elsewhere. But how can we go to these events and maybe, outside of the infrastructure, make a difference? Is, a, is it a parallel with the, the question I had a long time ago about me flying? It's like, is there no alternatives? Always, always trying to look for alternatives to what you do. Mm. You know, how much you're going to take with you? How much stuff are you going to take with you? Do you need to take all that stuff with you? So that means you're, you're reducing the litter. How can you take those those things? Can you take it in? Can you take food in reusable containers and then you can use them when you get them on site? Um, I, Talking about getting to the venue itself, you know, going by coach is probably actually the better way than train and then a taxi, because it's you know yeah. it's easier for you. And that's a great thing, but also 
you've got a coach load full of people, you know, you, you're not using so much carbon and you're getting right to the venue itself. Uh, they're my two sort of takeaways. What about yourself? Actually? If you went to a music festival yeah. tomorrow, yeah. or is it really you need the, the systems you're locked into to change? I mean, uh, in the past, I've tended to take my food with me, partly because of my money reasons. <laughs> mm. But that, you know, then you've got to do stuff with the waste. It's expensive um, food is expensive. It's horrendously expensive, yeah. Um, if you're allowed to take food in, some places you're not. You can normally take it into the campsite, and mm. then it's different into because they often have a campsite and mm. then the arena's separate. It's hard. I think I think they're intrinsically quite energy intense. So it really needs. The Unless you try and go to a more local festival as well, mm. that would obviously help rather than traveling the length of the country. But it depends why you're going. If you're going mm. to see particular bands, then you can't really mm. do anything about it. Yeah, so it's just uh, so we really need the people who are supplying the stuff to, to maybe talk to us what we want yeah. to then make the changes. So always, there's a whole group of people involved in this. It's a community again. Yeah, the whole thing is communal thinking. I mean, they do seem to be doing. You know, they are making progress. I mean, that was 2015 the report. So I don't know what quite what's happened since then. Yeah, there you but go. They're making progress. Some, so that's a success. But some it of is, the, yeah. some of the festivals yeah. have even gone completely vegan. Mm. Yeah. You know, all the all the food on site is is vegan. So that's obviously and, mm, yeah. So environmentally beneficial. Things probably have changed in the last four years. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what are our successes? That's the first question in this, and, and that's a success. There's improvements. Okay, so, so that's the second question. How can people contact us, William? They can contest by email. What's the email address, Stuart? Uh, the People's Countryside at gmail.com. Very good. Well done. I know, you, you did well there. You, do, you don't always remember that one. <laughs> and the web address, if you want to find out more about our wider work, is the peoplescountryside.co.uk. Uh, and I'd just like to ask uh, listeners again, uh, what country are you listening from? Uh, we've recently had contact from listeners in Sweden and Brazil. Where else are you listening from? We're hoping to travel to Tibet, Canada, Ecuador, and East Africa. <laughs> so the third question is my question. So if you want to pass me the paper, Stuart, because I can't remember it word for word. Because okay. I, I, I wrote it yesterday. The third question in the Environmental Debates podcast brought by the People's Countryside. That's, I like how you switched that around there. You started off from that sentence, you're like, I've not said in people's countryside here. <laughs> the question, get back on message. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. My question, so question three is my question. Mass consumerism is a big driver of climate change. What are the practical steps we can all take to consume less? Where can we all start with this issue? Hmm. Now, straight off the bat, um, we've as, sort I, of as I write that down, we, we've already talk, sort of started talking about it, haven't we? Yeah, you know, because yeah. really, in a way, um, even going to a festival is mass consumer, yeah. in business. You don't have to go to a festival to live, to exist. But what about <laughs> FOMO? Fear of missing out. Oh, there's got to be there. There's a big that, that's, <laughs> that's 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 a thing these days. It's isn't plaguing it? the youth. Yeah. About missing out on everything, so that includes on on new fads in fashion, on on anything, on new phones. Or, yeah, is that what is that what really drives the consumers? The, yeah, I think it can do. Yeah. What drives fads? Is, is it the suppliers? Is it human yeah, nature? Yeah, influencers these days on yeah, social media. If you go back to the, I mean, go back in time, you go back to the sixties and how 
there were definitely, I remember my mum telling me that there were so many different fashions, there'd be a new fashion every week almost. It's like, I don't think it's a very new thing, how all these new fads and new fashions and no, new things yes. come in. Um, but the, the whole idea now, though, is it's just it's buying, buying cheap um, and often. It feels like you know we go back to the the, the tents at the uh, being left at the at the festivals. You know you, you pay that money. If I bought a tent, I'd want to bring it home with yeah. me because I want to use it again, yeah. or I just don't want anybody else to nick it. <laughs> so yeah, what what what? But what are the practical? What is a, what is what is one practical step that you maybe if you feel that you're a mass consumer, or you're just consuming because you feel you just have to. What is what do you think is one practical step you can get away from that? Personally, um, on my own level, uh, purchasing or decision-making generally, I always have a default position is, is this making my life simpler or is this making my life easier? Because easier is far more consumption rich. Um, uh, Because a previous intern from Oxford University I had, Cedric, he said to me the other day, because uh, he's got one foot in the Western culture and he's from Zimbabwe, so he's got one foot in the East African, Sub-Saharan tribal culture. And he was saying that, that these uh, isolated cultures tend to d- do things in a more simple way, but it's because that's all they've got. And it's not necessarily easier, but that's all they've got. Mm. But when I think back to my own stuff, like for example, um, the, these phones you guys have got, uh, what do you call them? iPhones? Smartphones. Smartphones. Yeah. I've got a very basic phone and it doesn't allow me to do uh, emails, it doesn't give me internet access, it, it just makes and receives calls. Now that doesn't make my life easier, but it makes it simpler. Uh, and I, I'm not overwhelmed with information coming in during the day. Mm. Um, so, so my life is simpler. It means in the evening, all, all my emails are just bolted in together. And it's, so when you're buying, or when I'm buying, I'm thinking, all right, okay, I'm always thinking, is this making my life easier or simpler? Like uh, years ago, washing machines and uh, dishwashers. Somebody said to me, it's probably 30 years ago, so why don't you get a dishwasher? Because you've got so much more time to do other stuff. So we buy all these gadgets to give ourselves way more time to do other stuff. Before you know it, you're busy. And uh, actually, we're doing, I still do the washing up by hand, and that's time to think. It makes my hands soft as well. That's, a, that's another benefit. So, you know, it, it's the thought processes behind the buying. That I, I would challenge you on the dishwasher thing, because I've just literally just got my first dishwasher. I believe that it has, has actually had a massive impact on me time-wise and I'm able to you fill that time with other things yeah that's my point but and also and also it means that I'm consuming less water because the dishwasher will, is more efficient with water than you ever can be when you hand it wash with by hand okay but there so we looked at our dishwasher and we saw that the the, the run that we use uses uses eight liters every time and we we I think I used about eight to ten liters a day on hand washing because you wash it differently. Okay, so I said, uh, you know, is it easier or simpler? But you're saying there's a third thing, you know, as is it more sustainable? Yeah, there's a sustainable. So it may not actually be just is easier or simpler. 
Yeah, but I, and also I would say that with the, with the dishwasher, it doesn't necessarily make your life easier because you still have to load it and unload it, and sometimes <laughs> you have to you have to dry off the plates a little bit anyway. But it, it probably just makes you a little bit more. I would I would also add a fourth one in there, which is efficiency. And I think sometimes when you go for mass consumerism, it's a bit too easy. Just go for a bit more efficiency. You know, when you buy something, when you buy clothes, have to think about what you're actually why you're buying it for, and whether whether you can you can how how long you're going to be using it for. Uh, yeah, so I, as I said before, I'm a, I am a consumer. Um, I don't. I I tend to favour the easier rather than the simpler. simpler. Yeah, for example, we get our shopping delivered, mm. just because. Well, we we feel it saves time. Actually, that's better than you driving to the shop because because they're doing other deliveries. Doing other yeah, deliveries. Okay. So there is a, there is a there's a success there. You might not have even noticed it, but yeah, if you drive yeah, to I the, really thought that. the the carbon footprint of when you deliver groceries is the, the worst the last the worst part is that last stretch between the shop and your your kitchen. Your but you've got more than just the driving. You've got the fact that you're using the internet to make the order. So uh, we've said before, you've got all these servers buzzing along somewhere in the world in case you suddenly, in the middle of the night, want to go online and order your shopping. So that's my... I read the other day that 50% of the carbon emissions that we will be producing in in 2040 will be via our internet use. Just remember, though, this is... I suppose it's all getting part of consumerism, definitely. Um, I was talking to somebody at the local farmer's market um, and he said to me that he found out that a Netflix bill, just have it ready ready and waiting for you, is the equivalent of boiling 70 kettles of water, which is mm. absolutely incredible. Fast forward to this week, I was at this amazing place called the Falkirk Wheel, and nobody knows about this, it's an amazing contraption which lifts canal boats from oh, one right, yeah. canal to another, and supposedly every lift only takes eight kettle boils boil kettles and it's just I couldn't believe like <laughs> yeah. the difference between just you know you think that you look at Netflix and you think oh wow that's like really really simple you just turn on the tap to, effectively yeah you literally just turn on the tap whereas with the, this, this, this this big mechanical. mechanism mechanical thing it would literally lift, literally lift in two canal boats up to the top Falkirk wheel Falkirk wheel yes what canal is that well I'm not going to finish that sentence my mum needs to be here to finish that sentence <laughs> okay it's a joke <laughs> So, um, you'd have to believe it out, wouldn't you? Yeah. Okay, so if we, uh, society pursues trying to change the buying habits and, uh, and uh, you know, m- making it easier to make the right decisions, mm. what processes and systems do we need in place to, to make that transitional process easier on us personally? Mm. So, we need it to make, a, 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 we need new systems to us, help us make better decisions. But we also need systems in place to lessen and mitigate the potential perceived negative impact that's changing. Lots of big words there, Stuart, I have to say. <laughs> but the... Um, I don't think anything longer than 10 letters. Oh, that's still... I mean, that's big on countdown. Um, <laughs> but if you were to think about your own... I, I, I'm going to go back to what you said earlier, Stuart, and I'm going to throw some at you a little bit, but it's making life as simpler, is it not? Rather than easier. How much do you cook at home? For example, and I mean for properly cook at home from scratch. And how about uh, Anthony? How much do you cook from to cook from home as well? I, I cook more now than I did. And, certainly, and from scratch, or um, do you, is it more from? It's so when I, I was off for three months looking after my son, and at that point I was cooking from scratch more mm-hmm. um, because I had a bit more time in the day while he was having a nap or something. Um, since I've gone back to work, it is more sort of 
chuck a few things together. Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily from scratch, but I, yeah, I I'd like to do more. It's. I always eat from scratch at home, and when I go out somewhere and eat, I always try and buy stuff that has been made from scratch. Like we were at the jam factory in Oxford the last few days, <laughs> plenty of other eateries available, and their their food is all made from scratch. Yeah, I've heard their chamomile tea is particularly good. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> especially with a whiskey chaser. <laughs> anyway, so we're saying. Um, we need uh, uh, systems to change to make our buying better buying choices, but we're, to to make the impact of that new behavioural system easier on us, we need it to be simple. I think it's simpler. I mean, if you're thinking about like how get if you source your food food more locally, and you source it more from the direct source rather than it being manufactured somewhere else then you actually bring all the ingredients together and you make it yourself at home, you're, gonna, you're more sustainable already because mm. you're, you're reducing the packaging that you're using. Uh, you might be using m- more energy at home, but again, it's more manageable, I think, over a network rather than these being these huge factories built producing. And also your food quality is going to go up. And I also firmly believe that sort of thing is very, very good for... Uh, community and family because you're potentially doing stuff together mm. you know I remember b- uh, baking cakes with my mum when I was younger and sort of nicking the bowl out afterwards um, that was part of us growing up and part of us becoming a family you know but I was talking to somebody from the Green Party a couple of days ago and, and they were saying that um, to, to get people to change their buying habits uh, it's not just about rewarding them in the pocket um, but it is about offering wider rewards. Mm. And she was also saying that rewards need to evolve because if they're the same rewards all the time, it's very easy to drop back into old habits. Yeah. So for each of you guys to maybe change what you buy and how you buy, what rewards, what benefits would tip you over into making a different purchase? I always return to one particular coffee shop but I always return there because they always give 50p discount for a reusable cup. Always. William always mentions the reusable cup. Uh, I haven't mentioned Finland yet. No, you haven't. <laughs> so uh, I've mentioned it once, but I think I've got away with it. Yeah. There, there is the financial side of it, but there's also this... Uh, I'm thinking of using... You know, There's a local company that do the re- refills at the local farmer's market. I will mention the name, Sessi Refill. They... they we can take our own containers and get rice, pasta, dates, banana chips, flour, our own de- all our detergents. Um, and there's this satisfaction of taking mm. your own bottle there. There's, there's something quite nice about it because again, it becomes part of the community thing. You actually, when you when you go there, you actually you engage with the person yeah. Who, yeah. who is serving you because they it's like it almost like an old we could have classed as an old-fashioned grocery shop where they've got all like these big containers. Yeah. yeah, big containers. I'll have some of that, some of that, some yeah. of that, some of that. And it's part of the community. But yeah, have a... What rewards, benefits... Would I mean, be? I, I, I definitely reduce the amount that I eat. And I would believe... I mean, that certainly I've helped reduce my weight. So, you know, it's, an in, it's not possibly more intangible benefit, but I think you can definitely have a health benefit from... Because I think generally people eat far too much. You know, you eat till you're full. Um, but that's not how much you need to eat, no. um, and that's why you know obesity is becoming such a major. Is that do you think that's a do you think that's a benefit that 
people would really be on board with because that's something that you, you well I'd ha- I mean you'd <coughs> hope it is because hopefully they can appre- you know note they appreciate the fact that there is an obesity issue yeah. I mean not obviously not everyone's obese but a lot of people who are obese could make a real difference just I mean that would be a good step yeah just have and, an and also save you know save them money yeah the amount of wasted food is horrendous isn't it Okay, so well, what I'm thinking is the values that society have is factored into this. Uh, and I'd just like to quickly explore what are the driving forward uh, for what are the driving forces for the consumerist materialist mindset? I was I was going to I think I think I can ask this question by saying how uh, just touching upon this whole food waste side of things is actually when do people actually really perceive when something is past its sell-by date? Not just food, but anything. Anything you have, like your the clothes you have, the car you have, even down to the house you have. Uh, is that also, does that, I think there's got to be a change in how people perceive a wear and tear of something. You know, if you, uh, I mean, I, I always try and mend now mm. what I've got. Mm. So if I've got a pair of, even a pair of socks I will if I've got a hole in them I'll darn the sock you know that's much better than going out and getting a new pair of socks isn't it right mm. so well, is it really you could wear two socks one with a hole and one without and then it just as long as the holes it. don't line up yeah, well, yeah. Each, both socks both sock have got a hole in them because I wouldn't get my foot in right yeah. but whatever <laughs> but what I, what I really mean is that is that that, that sell by date idea mm. of no changing that idea of the you know the okay, now this is slightly worn, I need to get rid of it, or this piece of celery is slightly limp, I'm going to throw it away, rather than, okay, well, I can, put, I can still use this, but a different way. Well, I mean, so I'm looking over at your hi-fi, and electronics is a good example, you know, if you go and buy modern electronics, because they've minimized, min- miniaturized everything, it's impossible to fix. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, um, in Banbury, they have an occasional pop-up where people can take along electricals that are faulty or whatever and the electrician kind of mends them and I had some old equipment that was my dad's that I didn't need anymore and I took them because I could it wasn't working but he was amazed when he opened it up and he saw how well put together this thing was it had a massive transformer and it was really bulky but he's like he's really pleased because he would be able to fix it whereas you know the modern consumerist or at, at least we're, we're told that there's a demand for miniaturization yeah um and that's, that leads to things not being fixable. Also, the, um, hi, the hi-fi and that you pointed out and the turntables and the speakers are all second-hand as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. bought off my, my brother-in-law. So, yeah, he had no, had, had no use for them. And they were just in his attic, so we I got it. So it's, again, that... We've, text, we've touched on this, but an awful lot of our buying decisions are, are brought about by subliminal suggestions, advertising... Mm. What can we do and the listeners do when we next go out there shopping, purchasing? What can we try and do to actively override these (laughs) messages and buy better before the, the, the systems change to allow us to make better decisions? How can we be proactive and make better decisions now? When you talk about advertising, the one, the one step you could take is if you're watching television is to, is to mute the adverts and walk out the door that's what I try to do adverts absolutely annoy me because yeah. it's just they're so in your face I remember going to 
uh, one of the first numbers I went to the United States, and that, they're, they are uh, mass advertising, and not just mass advertising, it's really in your face, it's mm. really big and bold, huge billboards and that sort of thing. You can't just kind of escape it over there. Whereas I think in the UK you can, I think you can, you can sort of, almost like you can turn the dimmer switch down a little bit on, on it. And then I think you can make better decisions with where, where you work, well, sorry, where you, where you purchase. But I think also that's quite, it's still very difficult, isn't it? Because you don't really know where, why you go somewhere. I mean, do you know why you go to particular shops or why you buy particular brands? Well, a lot of it's habit, isn't it? I mean, so obviously the supermarkets and things, they put a lot of time and effort into positioning things on shelves yeah. even, you know. The, the premium brands tend to be at kind of eye level. Yeah. Um, the cheaper brands are at the top or bottom. I'm presuming that, well, those companies may well pay pay yeah, to get that, that positioning. I, um, I heard once that actually in supermarkets that the, the expensive stuff is, is at the top and it gets cheaper as you go down because it's whole to do all to do with men being to a slightly taller <laughs> and men maybe were a splashing, bit, a splashing a cash a little bit more. Yeah. And that, quite possibly. If you next time you go to a supermarket, you'll notice that actually there was this whole thing about. And I remember hearing this like if you bought a particular, I don't know, jar of jam, um, just just choose the jam the, lower, the lower down <laughs> and see see if it makes any difference to you, to, you, to the flavour. So are we saying it's too difficult to make our own step to make better buying decisions, or, or no, you just got to spend a bit more time and. And consciously do it. Like it's very easy to go on autopilot. Like say you're doing a weekly shop, you just kind of on auto. You can be on autopilot. Yeah. Um, and actually, I I I find that's one of the benefits of actually doing it online and getting delivered. Yeah. Is that you can It's harder to. As long as you're a little bit disciplined when you look at your mm. basket at the end, it's harder to kind of um, impulse buy. You don't yeah. see the promotional. If you go shopping when you're hungry, you're mm. going to buy stuff like. That you wouldn't normally buy just because it's there and it's the, mm. and yeah. The, yeah they put all the chocolate by the by the counter mm. and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I personally I find it's it's you can be more regimented and you know it's quite easy to put the same things in each week that you need every week. Um, so you're saying how you buy helps inform what you buy. It can do. Mm. I mean I, I don't think that's probably true for everyone, but um, there is a balance in all this, isn't there? It all depends on your own motivations and. Yeah, I mean, what, what's your priority? Is it money? Is it time? And how much money you got in the bank? And, it, yeah. You know, what, what, what's your, the main driver for you to mm. make the decisions you make? Mm. Um, and it's different for different people. So um, we're saying that to make uh, a, a change individually, we need to work out what's driving us individually and then yeah, I, work I, I, Yeah, Yeah, I definitely think there's an element of you may need to make an individual conscious decision yeah. to change behaviours. I'll just make just make one point because I know that we we touched upon this within uh, Trio Watson's episode where I just brought up a couple of things when it comes to buying things is one of them was like a 20 I think it's 20 pound 20 minute rule and that is if you can replace something within 20 minutes and for less than 20 pounds you don't necessarily need it right there and then so you don't have to <laughs> buy it and the other one is that if you see something and I'm not talking about something you need on a daily basis but you see something oh I really like that Okay, I'm going to come back in three days and see if I still want it. Yeah. Um, just it's, it's allowing yourself that that thinking space, and sometimes that's it's hard, isn't impulse. it? Right, and then it's hard, it's difficult, but it's, it's maybe it's a challenge for yourself right now to, to do that. You know, take one of those challenges on, and 
Mm. Um, how, see how disciplined you can be. See how disciplined you can be. And, and let us know as well. How would they be able to let us know about that then, Stuart? They can email us, William. <laughs> People's countryside at gmail.com, but also they can. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> tweet? Is there a tweet? There is Twitter. Tw- uh, I think they can send smoke signals. Uh, Pigeons? Carrier <laughs> pigeon, yeah. So What's the like, most environmentally friendly way to send a message? <laughs> is that too big a question? Pigeon. Hot, Pigeon? Air, hot air balloon. Mm. <laughs> well, I don't know, there's all that gas. Well, you do speak a lot of hot air, though, Stuart. <laughs> yeah. Telephone, maybe? Landline. But we're on we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we're also on Instagram as well. So yeah. So this has been the People's Countryside Environmental Debate Podcast. William, what is environmental debate live and unscripted? Environmental debate live and unscripted is what we're doing right now in front of a live audience. Uh, part of that will actually be involving the audience. You know, you'll be able to join in. Uh, obviously heckle because Stuart loves heckling um, or being heckled at I should say uh, but it's going to be in front of a live audience and there'll be audience participation and I'm just repeating myself aren't I? And we're looking for venues to do that and we're actively drawn together a list and we might be doing the first environmental debate live and unscripted in London. That's what we're hoping for in, in Holborn so if anybody was listening to whole podcast they know what we're talking about yeah <laughs> exactly uh, if, for those who've just woken up on the train um, you, you, you've just missed your stop yeah okay so we're going to sign off there I've been Stuart the World Man Mabber our guest Anthony Brown and I've been William Mankelow thanks very much for listening and we'll see you in the next podcast mm-hmm.